Everybody doing okay? Doing good this morning? Good? Good. Um, hey, if you haven't been here before, we are working through the book of Romans and um, missed two weekends in a row, which I don't know if I've ever done that in the history of this church, but uh, um, Josh did a great job a couple of weeks ago, and um, everyone said Greg did a really phenomenal job yep. last week, and I don't, know, um, I don't know if he mentioned it on the Sunday services, he did it the Saturday ones, he did that on two hours notice, uh, because we found out, my wife and I found out about, about two and a half hours before service on Saturday that my brother-in-law had passed away uh, unexpectedly, so he stepped in pretty quick and, and did a pretty phenomenal job and um, it's interesting to see Greg fiery, isn't it? Because yeah, he's, he's such a nice guy. And then when you see him get all, all, all in your face, you're like, oh, hey, Greg, yeah, hey. He's a good speaker, though, good man. Um, so uh, last week, Greg was talking about, now we're in chapter eight of Romans. If you're, if you're new to the church, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible and kind of work through them chapter by chapter. If you've been here for a while, you're kind of used to this, this uh, way that we do it. Chapter eight of Romans is uh, pretty special. A lot of theologians would call this, no joke, they would call this the greatest chapter of the entire Bible. A lot of people mention that. And so we cut it in half because it is, quite frankly, a, a very powerful, impactful part of the word of God, not just to the book of Romans, but, but the whole word of God. And, and the two big reasons is one, what Greg talked about last week is the first half of Romans chapter eight talks about that we are freed from condemnation. Condemnation means being made guilty. So we are delivered of guilt, right? Delivered of being guilty in front of God, guilty in this life. And we're not just freed from condemnation by Jesus. We're not just freed from something. We're also freed to something. So when we are saved by Christ, we don't just like coast until he comes back or we die that we are saved and delivered to live out a life that is honorable to God, that pleases God, that blesses the world around us. So we're not just saved from something, we're also saved to something, is what, what Greg talked about last week. This week, as we get into, again, some of the most famous passages in the entire Word of God are in the second half of chapter eight. What we're gonna focus on is we're gonna focus on three words at the very end of it, and I'm not gonna tell it to you yet because I, I want you to hold on, right? Um, we're gonna talk about what I consider to be the three most important words in the life of a Christian, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the lesson. So if you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament towards the back of your Bible. We're in the sixth book of the New Testament in the eighth chapter, starting in verse 18. Um, you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything that we're gonna talk about should be in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. And if you have a, a, a smartphone, the Experience Community app, you can get that, download that. It has all the scripture, all the notes on there, okay? So um, you have to beg my pardon this morning. Uh, I, I'm gonna preach a little bit today. And I think that's still okay in church. I'm not sure anymore in the United States. But yeah, uh, so... If you're a non-believer in here, uh, you can sit back and just enjoy the shellacking on some of the believers in this room. So, um, no, it's not gonna be that bad. That's, that's being facetious, I'm joking there. But uh, I'm a little raw, and that's okay, and this is a very fiery passage, and, and that's okay too. So, I hope you're here to be honest and vulnerable, and I hope you're here to, to learn more about your creator. If you're not, I don't, I don't know why you would be here. So let's, let's be honest this morning 
Let's be vulnerable this morning. Uh, Let's forget about whatever obligations we may have uh, later on today. And let's be in the present, let's be in the now. And um, let's let God's word speak to us and challenge us a little bit today, okay? So let me pray and um, we'll jump into this, all right? Father, Lord, I love you, God, and I thank you so much for this church, Lord. Thank you, God, for all the people in this room who have given uh, my wife and I their condolences for our loss recently, and thank you, God, for the love and support of this church. God, we have a wonderful church, Lord, so I pray that as I teach today, even though your word (sighs) cuts God sometimes, Lord, let it be for the better of all of us, God, and the advancement of your kingdom, and so that we can be closer to you and live a life that honors you more, God. Lord, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the cities that those uh, churches are in, God. We pray for the wonderful nonprofit that we're working with this month, God, Men of Valor, and uh, what they're doing uh, for for men coming out of incarceration, Lord. And we just pray that you um, have your hand on today. And Lord, let, let your word just bring us closer to you. Let it humble us. And um, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'm reading is a letter from Paul, right? It's what the whole book of Romans is, to a church in Rome, very diverse church in a very hedonistic, diverse city. So I'm gonna read a little bit, and we'll go back, and we'll break it down, okay? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children." For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what they see? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So chapters six through eight, if you haven't been here, my favorite part of Romans is chapters six through eight. Chapter six is probably my favorite, very, very impactful. And the reason why these three chapters are so important is it is basically Paul talking about that when we follow Jesus, we are given a new life, a new identity, we live differently. That's because of God's spirit in us. And the second half of Romans chapter eight just basically drives that whole point home. And it does it in three different ways. First, it talks about the promises of God. That's what we're going to talk about here in a second. Then it talks about that God gives us a purpose while we're alive. And then the third thing is it says that God spiritually protects us. So this is how this newness of life is is sustained if you will, okay? So what Paul says is this. He says, in this life, just like Jesus said, you're gonna suffer. It's gonna be hard. But Paul reminds us that God has promised us a place after this life, and it's gonna be perfect. 
And so here's the thing, we have to be reminded, I'm gonna hit on this a couple of times today, we have to be reminded that this world is not our permanent home. The Bible says we are foreigners, we are migrants, we are aliens passing through. This is not our home, it's temporary. And so we're gonna suffer in this temporary place, especially if we have a relationship with Jesus. But Paul says, listen, the bad things you go through here, are, you, you don't even, it's not even worth comparing that to how good heaven is going to be. It's not even worth comparing, he says. It is foolish for you to try to compare what this life looks like compared to what the life to come will be like. Now, the point is this. Ever since the beginning of humanity in Genesis chapter 3, we've lived under a curse because sin entered into humanity. And what, what Paul says is that the wages of sin, the ways of the world, the ways that we do things, they're futile. They end in destruction and in chaos. I, I watched this documentary lately, and I always have to preface when I tell people I watch something or listen to something because then they'll watch it and there'll be a bad word, and they're like, Corey's not a pastor, he's the devil, you know, and they, they think bad things about me. I'm gonna preface, this documentary is extremely graphic. Graphic nudity, it is very, very rough. But it's a documentary called Generation Wealth. It's on Amazon Prime. Again, if you watch it, I'm just telling you, it is rough. It's made by a Jewish woman who lives in Los Angeles. She's not a believer. She doesn't even follow her Jewish heritage. And she made this documentary over 30 years of her, of her following people who are ultra wealthy, who work in the pornography industry or who work in Wall Street and who are following this American dream that we all think is so important. And what she has noticed is over 30 years, everyone who pursued that dream with everything they had have ended up in destruction. And she doc this is from a secular point of view. And the whole point of the, the, the documentary is the American way of just excess and greed and lust and pleasure. It just leads to a fall, right? Not just for the individual, but it's gonna lead to a fall for our society in general. And a secular woman made this. And the Bible has been saying this for thousands of years. Our ways are futile, futile. But one day Jesus is gonna come and lift that curse and we're gonna live in perfection with Christ. Now, I'm not trying to get all like scary on you this morning, but those of you that are full of the Holy Spirit in here, you see it. It is impossible right now to look at the state of humanity and not go, we are so evil right now. Just like what Romans chapter one says, we live in a culture that has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And just like Paul says here, he says the, the, the world, the earth is groaning. It is in labor pains, wanting for Christ to come back. And then Paul says, those of us that have the Holy Spirit of God, we are eagerly anticipating the redemption of our bodies. I don't know if anyone else in this room has done it in the last two years or so. I find myself doing it more often than I ever have. God, are you coming back soon? God, I don't want my girls to grow up in this world. Are you coming back soon? I don't know if anyone else. You have to have eyes to see it, though, which means this has to be your filter. And if this is your filter, you notice how awful the world is. And if you don't notice it, I don't know what you've been looking at. I don't know what rock you've been under or how head you're buried is in the sand. And listen, this longing for us to want Christ to come back this is not a bad thing. 
Here's my thing. If one claims to have a relationship with Jesus but doesn't see how futile the world is, if one claims to have a relationship with Jesus but does not long for our home, this is not our home. We should be homesick. And if you claim to be a believer but you're not homesick, I would dare something, say that something is superficial about your faith. And the state of humanity should bother us. But we don't really get bothered until it's in our backyard, do we? We usually don't get bothered until it affects us personally. But we should see how hurting the culture is around us. And it should drive us to our knees. We should be praying. We shouldn't be hating our government and hating everyone around us and hating people who are different from us and hating the lost. We should be brokenhearted for that. It should upset us. But where's our sense of urgency? We somehow bought into this lie that we're gonna live forever and we're not, we're not. But the church has lost a sense of urgency. The good news is, is that the Holy Spirit in us gives us a taste of what is to come. The fruit that is produced from having the Holy Spirit in us of peace, love, joy, long-suffering, patience, things like this that come from having the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, like wisdom and discernment and knowledge and miracle and healings, things like that that come from the Holy Spirit, this gives us a, a taste of how good eternity will be. And because of that Holy Spirit in us, and those of you who've been through tragic events, my wife went through one last week, right? When you have been through an event like that, that's why the Bible says you can be pressed down, but because of the Holy Spirit, we cannot be destroyed. We can be shaken, but we cannot be destroyed because a relationship with Christ gives us peace. It gives us contentment, even amongst chaos, even amongst sadness. We have a peace because God is with us. And so Paul says we hope for the things that we don't see. And what Paul is saying is, hold on, <laughs> hold on. There's a lot of evil around us. Sometimes it is hard to see the goodness. It is hard to see God in the middle of all of it. But if we follow Jesus Christ, if we are obedient to him, we can eagerly wait. We can patiently wait until all this mess is over. But my question for you is this, and I'm gonna go back to it a couple of times today because I see it way too often within Christianity. Are we eagerly waiting the return of our heavenly father? Are we eagerly waiting for the time when we can be in an existence where there is no cancer, there is no war, there is no hunger, there is no fighting, there is no racism? Do we long for that or, listen to me, have some of us in this room fallen way too in love with the world around us? way too in love with the world around us. Now I'm gonna challenge you a little bit today, not because I'm trying to be judgmental on you, but because I love you. If we have a love for the world, now the world doesn't mean the earth itself or the people in it. It's okay to recycle, it's okay to love your neighbor. God wants you to do those things, right? He wants you to take care of the earth, he wants you to take care of people. When, when John said, do not love the world, he meant the systems of the world that your comfort doesn't come from your political affiliation, that your prosperity does not come from the economic systems of the United States, that your affirmation doesn't come from your social media account, that when we're in love with the systems of the world, the love of God cannot be in us because there's no room. We have already filled ourselves up 
with man-centered systems. That's why John says, if you're in love with man-centered systems, the love of God is not in you because there is no room for it to be in you. And I am very disappointed and saddened to see how many believers are truly in love with the things of this world. Truly, they depend on them. They're afraid of them, right? And their whole lives are driven by them. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. So not only are we given the promise of an eternity with Jesus, we are given purpose right now today. And we are given strength today. And the hope that we have in Christ, it sustains us. It helps us hold on until he comes back. It gives us the ability. It gives us purpose, not only for us to be strong, but for us to be strong for the people around us, for your children, for your friends, for your spouse, for your neighbor. Now listen, here's the thing. The only way we can grow stronger in Christ is we must pray to Christ. Pray. We have a prayer night coming up this Friday. I hope you come to it. Now here's the thing. We'll have 7,500 people in June on the square for our worship night. And that's great. It's good to worship. But listen, you cannot get close to God on worship alone. You have to pray to God. You have to talk to him. We'll have 7,500 people at that, and we might have 700 at this this Friday. And I'm going to be honest with you, brothers, sisters, that's a problem. That's a problem. Worship is good. It's good. But you have to have a prayer life. It's the only way you're going to grow in your relationship with God. And when we have a prayer life, and when we read the word of God, he intercedes for us. He intervenes. He steps in. And when we have a connection with Jesus on a daily basis, he fills in the gaps. He gives us the words. He gives us the gift of wisdom. He gives us the gift of knowledge. I get so frustrated with Christians. I'm going to use a lot of quotes today, a lot of air quotes today. I get frustrated with a lot of Christians when, let's say we have a really important meeting about a really important subject, and they've known about it for weeks, and they come in, and we got people sitting there, and they say, hey, can we pray about this before we talk? And I want to say, Hold on a second. Have you not been praying about it for the last three weeks? Have you not been talking to God on a daily basis? Listen, here's the thing, guys. If you don't have a prayer life and then something smacks you in life, you don't always have the time to go, wait, hold on. Everyone stop for a second. God, forgive me of all the pornography I've looked at. Forgive me of all the awful things I've done. God, forgive me for my hatred and my greed and everything else. And God, give me the words right now. It's not the way it works. But if you pray on a daily basis, if we live a repentant, obedient life, when life comes, we are given the, the wisdom and the words in an instant because we've already built the foundation. 
We've already prepared. That's why in the military, they teach you how to pull out your gun and fire it quick. You don't have time to say, hey, can you guys stop shooting for a second? I think this is how this works. You have to be trained, you have to be ready. Read the word of God. Have a relationship with God through prayer and when things come, you'll be ready to meet it head on. God will give you the words. He will fill in the gap. And then that brings us to maybe one of the most misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. We know that all things work together for the good of those that love God. This does not mean that everything that happens is God's will. That's another piece of bad theology that a lot of people say. People, I'll talk to them, and they're just like, well, my husband left me for his secretary and, and took off and hasn't talked to my kids, but I guess it was God's will. Nope, sin is never God's will. In fact, God says, Jesus says, that it is not his will that any perish. It is God's will that everyone be with him for eternity, but that's not the way it's going to shake down. We can live outside of the will of God for us. But here's the beautiful thing. Even when things happen outside of the will of God and they affect us, for those that have a relationship with Jesus, good will still come out of it because God is with us. Whatever happens will eventually bring God glory. And when God gets glory, you benefit from that. If you have a relationship with Jesus, yes, all things will eventually work to God's glory and your benefit. That doesn't mean that everything that took place was God's will. It does not mean that. And see, the thing is, is what we do is when we read the Bible, we think that everything is about us and everything's not about us. It's actually about him. So it means that we don't always get our will. We don't always get what we want, but it's God's desires that will eventually be fulfilled. Overall, though everything that happens in our life is not what God wants for us, ultimately God's plan cannot be thwarted. It cannot be thrown off. Again, can we live out of the will of God? Yes, you can live out of the will of God. But to the true, genuine believer, eventually what we want becomes in alignment with what God wants. Eventually, what we pray for and ask, we receive because we learn to pray the will of God because we know that his way is better, that he always triumphs, that he always wins. And then this is where fistfights break out, right? For those he foreknew, he predestined. See, God's purpose is to conform willing people to the image of Jesus Christ. His method for doing that is because Jesus has died on the cross and now we can be adopted into the family of God and we are made into the image of Christ, which means we are sanctified. We are slowly thinking more like Jesus and responding more like Jesus, living more like Jesus. And what we do with this passage for centuries is we fight over this and we fall into the trap of trying to understand the process of an incomprehensible God. You don't have to understand everything about God because you're never gonna understand everything about God. Here's what you need to know about God. He is sovereign, which means nothing happens outside of his scope. God is sovereign, and here's the most important thing, God is good. So whatever God does, it's good. Doesn't matter if we understand it or not, God did it, it's good. We need to know God is sovereign and God is good. 
And what Paul gives us at the end of this part that I just read is he gives us the order of salvation, the ordo salutis. What happens is this. God knows who, who is going to choose him. He predestines them into the path that they're supposed to go. He calls them. He regenerates them, starts to make them new. We have faith. We repent for our sin. We're justified, which means we are made innocent in front of God. Because we're innocent, we're then adopted into the family of God. We're sanctified, which means made into the image of Jesus. He gives us the strength to persevere until he comes back. And when he comes back, we're gonna be glorified and put into perfect bodies for eternity. This is the order of salvation. This is what happens to all of you when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Well, we need to be careful when we get into this talk of Romans chapter eight is we need to be careful not to miss the point. Again, people have been arguing Calvinism, Arminianism. If you don't know who those two guys are, you're fine. Just know who Jesus Christ is in the Bible. <laughs> so it has been the center of debate for a long time, but the point isn't arguing what foreknowledge is or predestination is. The point is, is that God has a purpose for you. Again, we always make it about us. That passage has nothing to do with us. It is all about God. He knows, he calls, he justifies, and he gets all the credit for it. It is all him. And now some people come into this place and they just wanna fight. And I hate to break it to you. If you're new here and you wanna fight about stuff like that, it is not worth my time to fight about non-salvation issues. There are too many lost, hurting people in this world for Christians to squabble about stuff that is non-essential. It's stupid and it's a waste of time. But Corey, I'm an Arminianist. Great, I'm a Christian. Corey, I'm a Calvinist. Good for you, I'm a Christian. I don't care about those other titles. Those titles don't make you better than anyone else and they will not save your soul. In fact, Jesus wants us to quit bickering over petty things because there are way too many people out there that need to hear the gospel. And here's the bottom line. We can talk about things like, if you come up to me and if you're constantly saying, well, Corey, can you lose your salvation? The first thing I'm gonna respond to you is, is what sin are you trying to justify right now? If my wife asks me often, can we get divorced? Why do you keep asking me that question? If you have a good relationship with Jesus, divorce never needs to come up. Law, losing your salvation is an irrelevant topic if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then a lot of people take it to the other extreme, right? Well, I said a prayer one time when I was 13 and I've been living like hell ever since. Well, if you don't think holiness and righteousness have anything to do with the Christian life, I would say that you really don't have a Christian life at all. The bottom line is this. If we are honoring God with our thoughts, our body and our soul, you just need to rest in his understanding and not your own understanding. If you're living the way this book tells you to live, you got nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. All right. But then, what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he was raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul, after saying all this other stuff, he says, well, what do we say about all this? Not only does God give us promises of a perfect future, not only does he give us purpose in this life, he says God's also gonna protect your soul because he loves you. Very simple, but very profound, and this should be at the core of every believer. If God is for me, who can be against me? That should be at the foundation of who we are. If we are with him, nothing can tear us away from the promises, the purpose, and the protection of God. Nothing, nothing can tear us away from those things. How do we know that? Listen, this is very important. We know this because God has given us his all. He gave us his only son to be violently murdered on a cross for our sin. Not just that, Paul says, to resurrect and to sit at the right hand of God. He has done this for us. And if God was willing, listen, listen to this logic. If God was willing to do that for us, do you think he would just leave us hanging on this earth? Paul says, of course, he's going to give us everything we need to hold on until the next life. But here's the problem with our culture. We live in a culture that doesn't even think we need saving. We think we are good in and of ourselves. That's the culture you live in right now. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, it has unfortunately crept its way into the church. That's why so many of you guys skip out on communion every single week. Because you don't think you need it. Be beg my pardon for a second. Who in the world do you guys think you are that you think you have something so important out there that is more important than remembering the Savior that hung on a cross for you? So hold on. So when I see half of you skirt out as quick as you can, what in the heck do you have to do out there that is more important than taking five or 10 minutes to honor Christ Jesus, the one you claim to follow? What do you have to do? How arrogant have you become that what you have to do is more important than what Christ has done for you? Whoa, 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 whoa. no, please, please. Because it's been bothering me for a lot, a, a long time now. Five, 10 minutes of your time on a Sunday. What in the world is out there that is more important than what you're gonna do in here? What is out there? But the problem is, is we have become like the culture of the world around us. I'm good. The whole point of this book is you're not good. You're not good. There's only one that was good and it's not you. But we live in a culture that says, you just do what you wanna do and it has infiltrated our four walls because we're so entitled. This American dream that way too many of you have bought into is ruining your soul. It's about my advancement. It's about my prosperity. It's about my happiness. And it absolutely is not. 
It absolutely is not. But here's the thing, is what we are doing right now is we are living up to the world standards. And it is a false standard. It is a self-righteous standard. And we accuse each other and we judge each other based on a standard that is not God's. What you guys need to know is it is not the world that you need to impress. It is not the house you live in or the car you drive or how many likes you have on Facebook or how stupid does that even sound coming out of my mouth. But you as a believer have been set free of those things. That the only affirmation you should need is the affirmation of your heavenly father. We're set free from the bondage of sin. We are justified and made good and righteous, not because we are good, but because God loves us and his son is good. That doesn't mean we should turn a blind eye to evil. It means that we should go out and share the truth because we know the only thing that should liberate us. And there's a whole world out there that doesn't know it yet. And it is our job to go share that truth with the world around us. And maybe one of the other big debated and, and argued scriptures in chapter eight is who can separate us from the love of, of Christ? This passage has nothing to do with you losing your salvation, nothing. What it has to do with is even if all hell comes against you, if Satan and every demonic force comes against you, if governmental systems come against you, if economies come against you, whatever comes against you, nothing can rob you of what God has for you. That's why John says, we know that we're of God and we know that the whole world is under the sway of the devil. But Jesus says, I've already overcome the world. You got nothing to worry about. You got nothing can rob you from God. Nothing can pluck you from his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love that he has for you. So again, we have to not miss the point here. If we have fellowship with God, there's nothing to be afraid of. No affliction, no distress, no persecution, no hunger, no nakedness, no danger of sword. What the Bible tells us is that we have always, believers of Christ have always been put to death for their faith. The believers of Christ have always been persecuted. The believers in Christ have always been like sheep to a slaughter. And here's the thing, the true believer of God willingly does it. We willingly walk to the slaughter because Christ willingly walked to the slaughter for us. So that's why Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can take your body. Don't be afraid of your government. Your government's gonna fall. Don't be afraid of the economy. Don't be afraid of foreign armies. Jesus says, even if they take your head, they can't take your soul. They can't take the love that I have for you. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can take your body. Only be concerned with the one that can cast your soul into hell. But again, how many of us have become afraid of the world around us? You guys need to stop watching the news. I call it fear porn. That's what the news is. And you know what, guys? We've become addicted to it. We're addicted to that fear. I think the Bible tells you that's, that's not a spirit that, that God has given you. That's not it. The spirit that God has given us is that we are more than conquerors. Regardless of, of what comes, 
Jesus says, don't fear this world, I beat it. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna struggle. It doesn't, mind that we're, it doesn't mean that we're not occasionally gonna fall. But because God has already conquered the world and he loves you, if we live in a relationship with him, when we fall, he can pick us up. And he, he say, I forgive you. Let's keep moving forward. Because true faith overcomes the enslavement of sin. It no longer has a claim on us. Romans chapter six, right? And then that brings us to what I consider to be the three most important words in that entire book. Because it is impossible to be a true follower of Jesus unless I am persuaded. That I am convinced that everything this book says is true. That who God says he is is true. Only then can I live the way God wants me to live when I am persuaded that neither death nor life, not angels, not rulers, not things right now in the present, nor things to come, nor powers, or any created thing can separate me from God. I am persuaded. How much differently would your life look if you were persuaded? How much differently would your life look? So here's the thing. It is not a question of perfection. We're not gonna be perfect until we get to the other side. But it is a question of direction. Direction. So here's the thing. Listen, just to solve any theological issues you may have. If we have a true relationship with Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of from your past. When you stand in front of Christ Jesus, the perfect judge, if you have lived a repentant life, Jesus is going to open up the book of your life. <laughs> Isn't this shocking? And he's gonna say, I don't see anything to hold against you. Welcome in, good and faithful servant. We have nothing, because perfect love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, perfect love keeps no record of wrongs. And if we repent, Jesus has no record of our wrongs. We have nothing to be concerned about from our past. Listen, if you have a relationship with Jesus, there is nothing in this present world that you have to be afraid of. Let me repeat it again. There is nothing in this present world you have to be afraid of. No governments, no economies, no foreign armies, not culture, nothing. You have nothing to be afraid of if you have a relationship with Christ. You have nothing to be afraid of in the future. The end is already recorded and it is truth. Just like every other word in this book is truth, the book of Revelation is truth too. And we know exactly how it's gonna shake down. He wins. And if you have a relationship with him, you win too. We also have no fear of losing our salvation. The conversation of hell, occasionally, yes, we need to be reminded that there are eternal ramifications for how we live. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to talk about divorce. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to worry about losing your salvation or eternal damnation. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're gravitating towards him, which means we're gravitating towards an eternity with him. You got nothing to worry about if you're living a life with Jesus. You don't have to worry about if you've done enough or if you've, if you've, if you've been to church enough times or whatever the case may be. It's by God's grace through our faith, right? That we're saved. You don't have to worry about it. 
I also want to say this, your titles will not save your soul. I don't care if you say you're a faithful Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever you say you are. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or Arminianist. I don't care if you walk around telling everyone under the sun you're a Christian. It's fine to say that you are those things, but your lifestyle better back up those claims. Because Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. So we can have the tattoos, we can get the bumper sticker, we can do all those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. I don't have a problem with those things. But you better walk that out. That's why James, the literal biological brother of Jesus, said, you can tell me you have faith, right? You can put your bumper sticker on your car. He said, I'm gonna show you I have faith by how I live. That's what James said. You can tell me you're a Christian. I'm gonna show you I'm a Christian. I'm gonna live by the principles of Christ. I hope you do tell people you're a Christian. I hope you share the gospel, but you better live the gospel because your titles will not save you. Clocking into church for an hour and a half every other weekend or every quarter weekend or whatever you do, that's not gonna save you either. You have to have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's gonna save your soul. And here's the thing, we can fool everyone, but you can't fool the one that made you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your mind. So we need to make sure that we are who we claim to be. And listen, what that boils down to is persuasion. Are we persuaded? Are we truly persuaded that God is everything he says he is? If we are persuaded that God is everything he says he is, why do we keep running to everything else for our affirmation, for our comfort? for our sense of purpose. The problem with a lot of us, and I've done it too, is God is everything as long as I have these things as well. God is good as long as I get to live in that neighborhood. God is good as long as I have this, this, this affirmation from the people around me. God is good as long as I get the job that I want and things are going the way I want them to go. Yes, God is enough as long as everything else is settled as, as well. Do you believe this book is everything that it says it is? Do you believe that God is everything he says he is? Do you believe that he is the comforter and the counselor? Do you believe that he is the way, the truth, the life? Do we believe that the only pathway to eternity is through him? Are we persuaded of that? Are we persuaded that we can be more than overcomers of the evil? You are not meant to live in addiction. You are not meant to live a, purpose, a purposeless life. You're not meant to live feeling hopeless and worthless and discarded. That's not the way God wants you to live. God does not want you to live enslaved to sin. You can be set free of that. Are you persuaded of that? Are you persuaded that there is a newness of life in Jesus? Or are we trying to hold on to two things? There's a problem with that. There's so many people that just don't want to go to hell. They, they, you know, they're, they're Christians, air quotes again. But they really love the things of this world. And Jesus addressed this in the book of Matthew. He said, no man can have two masters because you will either love one and hate the other or you will hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and whatever else. He says wealth, but it can be anything, right? 
I am saddened to see how many of us are trying to hold on to two masters and it cannot be done. It cannot be done. Let me ask you, do you groan for your home? God, come quickly. That's what John said in Revelation. God, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Do we pray for it? Do we pray to get to where God wants us to be? Listen, if we are persuaded that God is good, a good God cannot tolerate evil. Let me tell you why this book was written. This book was not written so you can judge your neighbor and talk about how evil everyone else is. This book was written so we can address the evil that is in us. And so I wanna ask you today, are you persuaded that God is good? And if you are, that means that we have to let God address the evil in us. Fellowship with light and darkness is non-existent. So we need to make sure that God lets his light shine in us. I'm gonna end on a positive note. Are you persuaded that God thinks the world of you? Are you persuaded that it is God's desire to conform you into the image of Jesus? You'll never be Jesus, but he wants you to be in the likeness of Jesus. He wants to give you a perfect body. He wants to give you a perfect mind. Can you imagine what heaven will be? I'm not talking about the streets of gold and the pearly gates. I'm talking about that every single person you come in contact with in heaven will have perfect thoughts, perfect intentions, a perfect body that never decays or gets cancer or grows old. That's what God wants to give you, perfection. He wants to make you in the image of his son. What that means is you're not alone. Are you persuaded that you're not alone? I don't care if no other human on earth gives you attention. I don't care if you never get married, you never have children, you're never popular or famous. You're not alone. Are you persuaded that the creator of the earth he sees you and he knows you and he wants to walk with you and that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love that he has for you. <sighs> Pastor Mike and I were talking yesterday Peter in the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion. If you ever watch a National Geographic thing on lions and you watch how they attack their prey, you know lions don't go after the strongest and the fastest, right? The lions go for the ones who are on the fringe of the society that are hurting and a little bit slower. And the lion walks around and he finds the one that are at their lowest. And it says in the Bible he devours them. Let me tell someone in this room that there are so many lies that the devil subtly speaks in our ears that we're not worth it, that we've done too much, that you're worthless, that you're never gonna be forgiven, that you're never gonna be enough. And it is the fact that God sent his only son to say, that's not true. 
there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from how God feels about you. You are not alone. That's a lie. It's a lie. God is with you. He sees you. He wants to be with you. He wants to change you. He wants to make you perfect. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, if you're in this room today, I have reached a point to where I'm just kind of tired of games. If you are in this room and you've come here today looking for the truth, maybe you're confused, maybe you have questions, maybe you're still on the fence about this, but you're looking, please, I beg of you, no one's gonna look at you funny, no one's gonna think less of you. Come up here and talk to Pastor Mike. He's right up here on the right side of the stage. My right, your left. Please come up here and talk to him. If you are in this room and you have something you need prayer for, if it's something you need, if it's something, if you have a loved one that doesn't know Christ and you wanna speak their name and have someone join with you in prayer, if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you feel alone, if you have sin in your life that you just wanna tell someone about and have someone pray with you, please, there are men and women on both sides of the stage, please let them pray with you. You're not alone. It's a lie. And then the last thing is this, and I beg you, I know I, I, know I hammered on you earlier, but I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna implore you. Communion is not a small thing. This is a tangible, visible thing that you can touch and feel that reminds us that God has given his best for us that his son has died, that if we will just go to him and we will ask him to forgive us, he forgives us. Our past will no longer be held against us because of what that communion represents. That communion represents that you have the Holy Spirit with you that gives you the strength and the endurance until Christ comes back. That communion you hold is a reminder of the promise that when Jesus left, he went to go prepare a place for us. And that's for you. That's for me. And it is not God's will that any of you miss that. That if we will just take a minute and remember what God has done for us, that you are not alone. You have the honor and you have the, the, the opportunity to take a couple of minutes and just meditate on the goodness of God. Father, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you. God, I pray that you keep your hand on everyone in this room. I pray that you bless them, God. I pray that you walk with them. I pray that if anyone is struggling with, with worthlessness or fear or hopelessness, God, I pray that you intercede and that you step up and in your name, God, I pray that you take that lie away from their ear and you fill it with the truth that nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us, God. Lord, we love you. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room and keep them safe, God, until we meet again, Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.